We're continuing in 1 Samuel chapter 30 about the occasion when David uh, escaped from the Philistines, came back to his city Ziklag and found it all destroyed by the Amalekites. And out of that desperate situation, there is a repentance that God works in David's heart so that he doesn't trust in himself and instead turns and strengthens himself in the Lord. That's what verse 6 says. I'm going to start reading in verse 7 and preach from 11 through 25. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. So David went, he and the 600 men who were with him, and came to the brook Bezor, where those stayed who were left behind. But David pursued, he and 400 men, for 200 stayed behind, who were so weary that they could not cross the brook Bezor. Then they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David. They gave him bread, and he ate, and they let him drink water. And they gave him a piece of a cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. So when he had eaten, his strength came back to him, for he had eaten no bread nor drunk water for three days and three nights. Then David said to him, To whom do you belong, and where are you from? And he said, I am a young man from Egypt, servant of an Amalekite. My master left me behind, because three days ago I fell sick. We made an invasion of the southern area of the Cherethites, the territory which belongs to Judah, and of the southern area of Caleb. And we burned Ziklag with fire. David said to him, can you take me down to this troop? So he said, swear to me by God that you will neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will take you down to this troop. And when he had brought him down, there they were, spread out over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing, because of all the great spoil they had taken from the, the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. Then David attacked them from twilight until the evening of the next day. Not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives. And nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything which they had taken from them. David recovered all. Then David took all the flocks and herds they had driven before those other livestock and said, This is David's spoil. Now David came to the 200 men who had been so weary that they could not follow David, whom they also had made to stay at the brook Bezor. So they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless men of those who went with David answered and said, Because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except for every man's wife and children, 
that they may lead them away and depart. But David said, My brethren, you shall not do so with what the Lord has given us, who has preserved us and delivered into our hand the troop that came against us. For who will heed you in this matter? But as his part is who goes down to the battle, so shall his part be who stays by the supplies. They shall share alike. So it was from that day forward, he made it a statute and an ordinance for Israel to this day. The last several weeks, we have been following the consequences of David's rashness, of his taking matters into his own hands. Those consequences have caused us to pause and to be warned. We've been warned, much like one of the commentators says, that like David, whenever we turn away from the Lord, neglecting worship and God's word, giving free reign to our sinful passions, our descent into misery and despair can be far swifter and steeper than we ever imagined. We discovered this with David, that this is a man of God. The Lord's anointed and he descends into despair and into crazy plans and into disaster. We are warned, as the New Testament says, to take heed. Do you think you stand, lest you fall? But having heard that warning, David's experience goes on now to repentance. And it goes on to renewed commitment to follow after the Lord. And then God's mercy and grace shines through in the form of God's renewing in David a faithfulness, renewing in him a usefulness in the kingdom. This is a message that gives hope to every Christian in every age. For we, like David, often go astray. We, even though believers in Jesus Christ, will find that when we do not pay heed to God's word, when instead we begin following our own plans and taking matters into our own hands, that our descent is frighteningly fast and depressingly, despairingly uh, deeper than we could ever imagine. We take heed lest we fall as well. But this is where the grace of God does come through. It is the same mercy that saved you. It is the same grace delivers you out of the power of Satan that continues in you to restore you and to renew you when you stumble into sin and when you repent. We can trace this in David's life, and we'll do that today, beginning with how David demonstrated his repentance by his obedience. And all of this is going to show that repentance leads to restoration and renewed faithfulness for the Christian life. So David demonstrated his repentance by his obedience. God humbled David. He was brought to his senses by the, by the correction and the discipline that the Lord brought against him. And he asked God what he should do next. He prayed, shall I pursue? Will I overtake? And when God told him what to do, David acted. We've noticed this before. It's an encouraging sign of a man of faith that 
when humbled, he responds in repentance. When corrected, he changes his direction. And when God tells him what to do, he acts. This may seem to be a minor point, but believe me, this deserves development. It deserves meditation for you today because it fits the thrust of this message that when you repent, that God does forgive. And when you repent, he renews you in faithfulness. He renews you in usefulness in the kingdom. The point here is that as a Christian, you still will stumble in many ways. And when that happens, it is very tempting to fall into despair. It is very tempting to think that you are uh, that you may not ever get up again, or that you may be worthless in the eyes of the Lord. In fact, we believe that the enemy Satan would even use this as accusation against you, accusation, accusation that may may whisper into your ear and into your heart that you're worthless, that you're no longer worthy to be of any use to God, or may come in the forms of, of something even more, uh, more challenging, like that roaring lion who seeks to devour. He, Satan would come and mock you and shout in your face, you call yourself a Christian? And look what you've done. There is something already and not yet about the Christian life. As you have trusted in Christ, you are already his child, a son or daughter of God. And we believe that there's nothing that can take you away out of his hands. What do you do with those sins that still remain in your life? Because they're there. In fact, as the Apostle John says, if you say you do not ever sin again, you lie, and the truth is not in you. But we do have an advocate with the Father. We have Jesus Christ, the righteous one. What do we do with those sins? Well, a believer repents when convicted of sin. We believe that Christ prays for you. The Christ mediates for you. The Christ has promised that when he has begun a good work in you, that he will never leave off that work. Instead, he hears your prayers of repentance. He forgives. He comforts. He assures. He commands. And by grace and by his spirit, you get up. And you get to work again, and you demonstrate your repentance by renewed obedience. We can see that in David. Rather than throwing in the towel saying, I've blown it once again, there's no recovering from this. No, even in the face of adversity, David gets up again and follows God. That comes by God's grace and by his spirit to sustain you. Pray for that when you hear those accusations of the enemy. Pray, for the, pray that the Lord would renew you and restore you 
You would demonstrate that and renewed obedience. Which leads then to David applying his faith by following God's word. And I make this point because as, as this as the story goes on, the unlikelihood of everything that happens is one that is full of faith. And it's full of David's focus on what God has told him. Let me just show you some of the things that seem to argue against it. David sets out after the Amalekites into the wilderness. Not an easy task. You should know that this is the same landscape where David had avoided Saul for years. It's a trackless waste. How is he going to find the Amalekites? Not only that, his soldiers are tired. They've been on a march home. The point is made that some of them are so tired that they can't even keep going. 200 are left behind. And they've been punched in the gut because they came home to their houses being burned and their families kidnapped. So it's a dejected and tired army that David leads. He leaves 200 behind to guard the supplies. Not an easy task. But David wasn't motivated by the relative ease or difficulty that, by the task that he would face. He didn't ask his war consultants what the probabilities of success are. I'll date myself here. There's a line from Star Wars that I like. The robot C-3PO says to Han Solo as he begins to fly into an asteroid field. C-3PO says that the, uh, the odds of survival and flying through an asteroid field are approximately 3,720 to 1. And Han Solo says, never tell me the odds. <laughs> and he goes flying into the asteroid field. Well, that's just crazy piloting. That's just Han Solo being brash. That's not what David did. He wasn't consulting the probabilities. The probabilities would have argued for him to turn around and just go home. He was motivated by God's word. David had asked God, shall I pursue? Shall I overtake? And God said, yes. And that's what motivated David. And that's what guided him to go out into this trackless wilderness to search for the Amalekites. And it just so happened that as they are searching for the Amalekites, that they come across this sorry, sick, dying man that they, they bring into the camp and they revive with food and water. It turns out that this man that they just so happened to discover was an Egyptian slave. And that slave had fallen sick three days earlier so that he had been left behind by the Amalekites, only to be found, it just so happens, by David and his men. And so David asks, will you take me to find the Amalekites? 
And he says, yes, on the condition that you spare my life. Don't kill me or turn me back over to my master. That's, that would be trouble. And so they go and they find the Amalekites. And the text says they're spread out over the land. And that, uh, that phrase has, has two meanings. One is that David finds them uh, partying because of the victory that they've had. They are drunk and dancing because they're so happy with what has happened. But it also speaks to how big of a force the Amalekites had. It was far bigger than David's fighting force. We're going to go on and we're going to see that David wins the battle. And there are only 400 that get away. Well, that's how many David had to begin with. That means the Amalekites' force was far bigger than David's force. Another reason that would argue against David fighting against them. But, again, David wasn't looking at the probabilities. David applied his faith by listening to what God said. You will overtake them. You will, you will have victory over them. You will you will recover everything that you had lost. So even though the Amalekite army was greater, by God's providence, David found them, uh, David found them in the first place. He found them without defense. <laughs> he found them inebriated and without, uh, without guards. And even though they were a greater force, David and his force did have victory over them. And he took back everything. He took back more than everything. He took back the, uh, the riches the Amalekites had, had, uh, had garnered from the Philistines. Just to summarize this point, think of the hurdles that David faced. A tired and grumbling army trackless wilderness, an enemy of a superior force, all things that might argue against David's pursuit. But he did pursue believing God's word. Well, here's another example of where the Bible gives you a glimpse into a, a complete story. When we talk about the sovereignty of God, we mean that the Lord is controlling all things. And I've highlighted that by the phrase, it just so happened, it just so happened that there was an Egyptian who got sick, was left behind, who could be found by David and his men. It just so happened that the Amalekites let down their defenses and were in a party, assuming that David was off fighting with the Philistines. All of these things just so happened? Well, no. God orchestrated all of these things so that David's faith and restoration, we would see it bear fruit. And I say it that, that we see the whole matter because often we don't in this life. More often, at least in my experience, we don't know 
the end of the matters, and especially great when they're in the midst of a trial, it's very difficult to see the end of the matter. We are often left asking God, why is this happening? When will it be over? How will I be delivered? How will I even endure to take the next step that you have for me? But in God's providence, he gives this illustration of the whole matter. And he does so in other places in the scripture. But here is one where we can see the end of the matter. That David, by faith, follows what God said. And he realizes or he accomplishes what God has promised. You will surely recover all. Against all odds or probabilities, 3,720 to 1. <laughs> no, uh, by faith, David believed what God said and received what God promised. There are times when you are in the midst of a trial that you may not see the end of the matter. But by seeing David, I pray that you would understand and trust that God is ruling over every event. Because of that, he calls you to take the next step that you can see in front of you. To take to heart that you can trust him and apply your faith by obeying, by whatever that next step might be, trusting that the following steps will become apparent in due time. Thirdly, David displayed his leadership through justice. This is all part of this wonderful account of God humbling David, correcting him, and then forgiving him when he repents, restoring him and renewing him in obedience. After the battle, David returns to the 200 men that were left to guard the baggage. But there was still trouble. You would think, you would think that after a victory, there'd be some relief. But, but that isn't the way of life, is it? It seems like oftentimes, right on the heels of a victory, we, we face trouble. And that's the case for David. He goes back full of the joy of this victory and this joyful reunion with those that have been left behind. But then there were certain wicked and worthless men who were part of David's camp who argued, those people don't deserve any of the spoil. David's own company is shot through with unbelievers, with wicked and worthless men. If this were true of David's band, surely the rest of Israel would be that way. And if so, for Old Testament Israel, then then we are warned that even today that the nations and the institutions that ought to honor God and even those that do honor God will have a mixed character. 
for that matter, Jesus even, even warns that the church has a mixed character in it. There are wheat and there are tares. There are those who are genuine believers and there are those who deceive themselves but have nothing of Christ and may turn away. And there are those who are wolves in sheep's clothing who infiltrate the church seeking to devour and to destroy and to divide. And David needs, lead, needs wisdom in his leadership. For this is a time when justice must rule. And that lesson is one to take to heart that leadership in every age, and really in whatever role of leadership you have, whether that be in your family or your vocation or in your church, that leadership needs wisdom, that needs justice that comes from God. So what did these wicked and worthless men do? Well, they complained that those 200 men didn't fight. They don't deserve any of this bounty. They could have their families back, but nothing else. But David argued otherwise, and he displays a godliness and leadership through a just distribution of the spoils. And this is part of God's renewing and building up of David so that he would be a fit leader for the nation. David could have promoted his own name. He could have promoted his own wisdom and authority at this point. But instead, he clearly reasons in verse 23 that the battle and the victory and the spoils don't belong to him. They belong to God. My brethren, you shall not do so with what the Lord has given us, who has preserved us and delivered into our hand the troop that came against us. There's practical wisdom in this. Who will heed you in this matter? And a fighting force knows this. There's some on the front lines and there are some who supply the fighting force. Without the support, the fighting force fails. But David's judgment stands on more than practical wisdom. The victory came from God. And so all of God's people will be blessed in it. I'll develop this a little more next week as David, as a leader of God's people, as a kingly leader, turns and distributes the, uh, the bounty of a victory on all of God's people. And so David set this rule that everyone participates whether they are fighting or supporting, they all share alike. Well, there is more to come, but I hope that you see a difference between the David of chapter 30 and the David of chapter 29 and the previous 18 months of David's life. God had humbled and delivered David liberated him, as one commentator says, from the soul-poisoning effects of living only for himself. And having learned humility, David repented. 
He strengthened himself in the Lord. He turned from his own personal resources to rely on God. And then God's mercy and grace are poured out in these really wonderful ways. As I say, you see that whole story. So for you today, it starts with repentance. It must start with repentance. You cannot cling to your sins. You cannot figure a way out of this. You cannot explain it away. Especially if you feel God's hand of correction on you. Repent. God promises to forgive. And in forgiving, he promises also to restore and to restore you to faithfulness. For repentance leads to renewed obedience. That's what we see in David. It moves to strengthening yourself in God, to applying yourself to prayer and to his word, to seeking that out rather than resorting to your own self-serving, soul-poisoning independence. All that you are and all that you do belong to God. So seek him out. Seek out his direction through prayer and meditation on his, on his word. And as he humbles you, you may not know the end of the matter. You may not know what tomorrow holds for you. But as you know what to do today, do it with all your heart and humble reliance upon his grace. Don't try to read the signs. Don't try to think of the probabilities. Don't try to figure your way out of this. Repent. God will forgive. And in that repentance and forgiveness, God promises grace upon grace. He promises mercy. He promises restoration. And he renews you in faithfulness and in usefulness for his kingdom. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, so many times we spin our own wheels trying to think of ways to get out of the mess that we've gotten into. And oftentimes we are pressed down by the accusations of Satan so that we fear to turn in repentance or fear that we will be cast off forever. Instead, O oh Lord, I pray that we would hear the call of Christ to come to you all who are weary and heavy laden, and you will give rest. For you are a God who is full of mercy and forgiveness. And having been humbled, O oh Lord, I pray that in our repentance, that you would also renew us in humble obedience. We pray that you would restore in us a faithfulness and a usefulness in your kingdom. We pray that, that you would be glorified in our lives. God, when we are at an end to ourselves and we don't know what that next step or the end might be, give us faith to take that next step, to, what, to do whatever that next thing is that we clearly understand, to obey you. May you sustain us in that day by day, step by step. 
looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We'll sing Psalm 119n. In this psalm, we'll speak of how God's word is a light to our path, how it renews us when we confess and repent. Let this be your confession of faith as well. Stand and sing Psalm 119n. <laughs> 